The information discussed in this episode is intended as general information only. It is not intended for one-on-one medical advice, and you should always consult your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. And if you like the content discussed in this episode, please go leave a review so that others can benefit from it as well. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters, so we've got another great interview for you, and this time we bring you Brian Sanders, and we're going to talk about food. So he's he's a filmmaker, but he's a lot more than that. I really appreciated and enjoyed how many people he has interviewed to come up with the information that he has on his in his film. So you will see it. He is a wealth of information, like name dropping and all these cool concepts. I really enjoyed picking his brain. What what did you think, Jess? Yeah, well, the man's on a mission. The man's on a mission to change the world. Uh, And I think I remember him saying he was an engineer. So his brain is like wanting to figure out what the heck is happening to our food in 2020. Yeah, it is is really cool because he is an engineer. I'll read you his bio. He is a filmmaker and he, of course, Food Lies is his film and he's the host of the Peak Human podcast. He graduated from UCLA with a degree in mechanical engineering and they turned to technology and he sold an app company. He used his technology background and his love for fitness and nutrition to also work as a health coach and to be the co-founder of health media and technology company called Sapien. So again, this guy's uber smart, which is fun. I love picking the brains of very smart people. He will bring you science. He will bring you information that will rock your, your world about food and what's going into our food right now and how the food companies are actually changing the human body because of the poor ingredients. He talks about the history of food, which was really interesting. And if yeah. you if you're wondering why people are so immune compromised right now, you're going to need to listen to this this episode. Right. Well, and I loved how he started off with talking about, I think, with his parents and losing them and how that really kind of set him on to a new trajectory of realizing that he was unhealthy and that he had bought into this model of what our food administration has set up for us. And so he really has a great personal story that really motivated him to, to kind of embark on this very long and challenging journey of making a documentary. Yeah. And we've seen that a lot with people where people get motivated for their own health because they saw what their parents did. And I think that's a great sign because we're learning so much that we can overcome our genes with lifestyle. But what I think is the sad part of this story is that we so much of the food industry has just, they've destroyed our food. So even when we think we're eating healthy, 
then we, we, you know, we, we're not actually not. I, I do appreciate, he and I really geeked out on this idea around, well, what do we do for people? Why does it cost more money to eat healthy? And what can we do to get people in, who are in lower incomes to be able to eat healthy? And I thought he had some great ideas that I hadn't even thought about. Yes. Well, and I mean, one of the things that we always go to is fasting. Like that's one of the beautiful parts about what we teach is fasting because it's, it's free. Like yep. there's no cost to it. But yeah, he went into some really good, some good points on it. Yeah. So if you guys are looking to improve your health, you want to know how to buy food that's healthy, you want to know how to not be immune compromised right now, this is the episode for you. So enjoy. This is Brian Sanders. Hey, Recenters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy. And I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash reset academy. Excited to see you there. So let's start off with this idea. For starters, I just want to welcome you. You know, this is, I'm excited to pick your brain. I'm a huge fan of chatting with people who are not only intelligent, but are on a mission to change the world. So just to give our our listeners a little background on your, uh, about you, you didn't grow up with a passion to change the food industry, did you? <laughs> you you kind of came to this in a roundabout way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a nutrition degree. I'm not a doctor. So a lot of people are like, well, you know, why should we listen to you? Well, I have my own journey. You know, I'm a mechanical engineer. So I started with the scientific background and critical thinking. And I like to, you know, look at the cause of problems, the root cause. And yeah, I mean, I kind of just fell into this. And now it is my 
passion. It's all I want to do. I work on the weekend. I don't call it work, you know? Yep. It's just, this is what I do now. This is, yep. it's, I found it. I st- quit doing other w- jobs. This is my job now. And yeah, I, I, Love it. I guess why... Th- there was kind of two reasons too. It was kind of partly personal where I was never obese or I was never had crazy problems. But I had all these things that were holding me down or that I wasn't optimal and I didn't know it. You know, and you just go along life and everyone's like, oh, that's the in shape guy. That's Brian. You know, he's pretty athletic and everything. And then I'm 30. I have sort of fat around my belly, you know, bad body composition, even though I'm trying to eat right. And I you know, get sick all the time. I have like these chronic overuse injuries. And then I made all these changes. And then all of a sudden, I'm uh, way better than I was when I was in my 20s. And at the same time, my parents both got sick. So they both have this, these chronic diseases of modern civilization that we think are normal. And I didn't really connect them to diet because it's, it's Alzheimer's and cancer. So I lost both my parents at 31. And wow. yeah, and, and so that was kind of the wake-up call. So it all, you know, it, it happened at the same time. You know, 30s when you kind of can't get away with eating whatever you want anymore. And then yeah. the my parents. And then I, I dug into the diet and I got into the ancestral diet and all this type of stuff. And I realized, oh, wait, we're not supposed to be getting cancer and Alzheimer's. Right. You know, like this is a diet and lifestyle related thing. This is not just a luck of the draw. Like, oh, they just have bad genetics. And now I have bad genetics. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I call it the pebble in your shoe. Like you're walking around, you got a pebble in your shoe. You don't realize your lifestyle is like wearing you down, draining you. And then when you go and you change your your food choices, you change your lifestyle and you pull that pebble out, there's like this aha moment of like, <laughs> oh God, that feels so much better. What? Why was I walking around with that pebble in my shoe? And I think that's what happens to people when they come to make food choices. So, and I can't even imagine you lost them both at 31. Basically, yeah. So my, my, when my dad passed away, my mom was in the last stages of Alzheimer's. So she, you know, it was like this gradual process. But you could say at that moment, I didn't have any parents, right? Because I was like, I could not communicate with my mom. So it, it was, you know, a slow process, but yes. And in that, in their diagnosis and their journey, did anybody ever give them health advice as far as nutrition or anything they could do? Or were they just given a diagnosis and medication? Well, yeah, for, for my mom, no, not at all. Even in the, the last couple of years, I mean, she's still actually hanging on. She's completely unresponsive for over a year. But I was trying to talk to them like, hey, you know, there's something, you know, ketones I heard, you know, about this person. They got even exogenous ketones. And they, they gave him an exogenous ketone drink and they kind of popped online for a second. And I was like, oh, can we try this? Like, no, no, no. You know, all I got was no's. And then with my dad, he didn't get any nutrition counseling at all. I know he, at the end, he tried to read some like sort of plant-based books and I, I don't know what happened with that. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to dive into it. But before I do that, what part do you feel like, I mean, your parents grew up in a society that just ate the food that was available in the stores. And they're behind that as your movie and, and your mission is about it, is just this destructive messaging around food and, and the fact that food is made so poorly. Do you, do you think about that, that perhaps they were just a byproduct of what the, our whole society is dealing with with our food sources? Yeah. And that's why I got so passionate about it because, you know, some people are so passionate about this because 
something specific happened to them or they lost 100 pounds. But for me, the passion comes from we did all the right things, right? Like we were just, yeah, we were, I, w- I grew up during this low fat th- movement, right? And, and so I remember growing up and we ate the food pyramid. I remember, I looked back because once this happens, okay, what did we eat? Like we weren't going out to eat. My parents were, were never about going to restaurants or fast food or anything like that. We did it on occasion. Yes. You know, once a month, it's like, oh, we get to go to McDonald's and, you know, yay. But that wasn't our thing. We were making the low fat foods. We were using the low fat dressings, doing all that. And I did that into my 20s still. And I made my own food every meal. I made my own food. And I still ended up just with these slow deterioration type of things. So yes, that's why I think everyone needs to wake up about this. Yeah. One of the things I always say is it's not your fault. It is a little bit, but it's also not your fault because if you're just going to Safeway or to the grocery store and you're not thinking it through, that you don't realize that the food industry has changed and the foods you're getting have changed dramatically. So have you ever, and this made me think about this when with you saying that you were just making the low fat choices. Did you ever see the South Park episode where they flipped the pyramid? Ah, Yes. It was I love so that. awesome. Right? I it, love was like, that. it was like my aha moment when I saw that. I'm like, you're right. We have to flip the pyramid. We shouldn't be following it this way. We should turn it the other way. I love that. Because I was like, this is because I've been in this little health community for a while, this, you know, kind of more low carb, ancestral eating. And I was like, they listen to us. This is our message. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So what what was the first change that you made when you when you decided to step out of the eating paradigm that you were in? What was the first change you made? Well, it was a kind of a gradual process, but I just would go lower carb and, and I'm just feeling better, but I mean, I think it's the whole foods. That's that's like the really the main thing is I just started going for more whole foods instead of packaged foods. So that's I think it's a super obvious kind of message. But it's not, people don't internalize it or just really think about it or do it enough. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, don't eat processed foods, but they don't even know what processed foods are. Right. Or they don't really know why they're doing it or they don't really do it. When you look at their, their diet, they're like, well, what about this? What about this bag? Why do you, have, you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're actually not doing it. You're like, oh, but I'm eating the bread. I'm like, that's not a whole food. Yeah. Bread's not a whole food, actually, you know, especially yeah. how we make bread in America these days. I had a great talk with Dr. Bill Schindler. If you haven't heard of him, he's so great. He's a mm. food archaeologist. He's a paleontologist. He researches food throughout history. And he's, he's basically saying, we're not eating f- food. We're eating these, these different products. Even if you think it's cheese, it's actually not cheese because real cheese is raw and it's unpasteurized and it's fermented in a, in a different way and it doesn't have the additives. And you can eat what you call cheese but you could be completely unhealthy and it could, it could make you get worse or you could eat you know, a real version that their ancestors eat or many people still do in other countries and you can be perfectly healthy. So yeah. th- there's a huge difference in, in what you're eating and just how it's made. Yeah, and, and I think most people do not realize that. You know, Even if you're buying food that's expensive, doesn't mean it's real food. It's not always the cheaper food. So how, tell me how you think we got to this point. Let's, can we go back and do like yeah. a, little, a little history? Like how, the, how did we go from a point where when you and I were kids, we could step into a grocery store and get real food to a place where we step into that same grocery store and we're not getting real food anymore? How did we get to this place? 
So it, it's a, such a long story, and we're, we're telling it in the film. But and there, you could go really far back to. There's this interesting story about the Seventh Day Adventists and this sort of religious influence that came in the late 1800s. And when we started demonizing meat, because I was really curious, why did we start demonizing meat? It, it started with demonizing meat, and then it led to the low-fat paradigm to processed foods, right? So I hope I don't skip that. Like you know, I, when I looked back, it started at meat, right? Mm-hmm. Once we started attacking meat then that kind of tears down the foundation of the diet and replaces it with a bunch of other stuff. So for all of history, we lived on farms and we ate close to nature and we ate fruits and vegetables and meats and just what we had. And then there was this time where we moved to the cities in the 1880s. And a whole long story about religious influence. that I, I don't want to get into all of it, but they started thinking meat was bad. They, they thought that meat made men violent. And, and then this whole progression of Kellogg, John Harvey Keller, who made all the cereals, he believed this. He got caught up in the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs and he wanted to make a a pure diet. And it was like kind of to get rid of people's sexual desires. And he thought that if you eat these grains, that that will happen. And it might. I mean, if you're eating this plant-based diet, I mean, your libido goes down. A lot of people report this. So that kind of started this. Let's eat the grains. Let's make all these cereal companies, huge boom in cereal companies in the early 1900s. And then it kept going. There's like there's processed foods made for the war. So we started learning how to process foods and preserve them and make them cheaper. And then we had this heart disease epidemic that may not even been such a big epidemic, but we, we started, even the president Eisenhower had a heart attack in that office. So he wanted to say, what's going on here? And instead of looking at smoking, when every in the 1950s, everyone's smoking like indoors, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the, it's the fat. You know, so there's this whole story about Ansel Keys that people might be aware of, yeah. right? It's a famous story of him, you know, cherry picking countries and looking at this data and saying, oh, well, the countries who eat the more saturated fat have more heart attacks. So then we, we blamed fat and meat on, we just keep blaming like these fat and meat on our problems, right? It was, it was first, it was this religious thing or violence and it was heart disease. Then we got into the 60s and 70s and this hippie movement and we're just like, oh, meat's bad for the environment. You know, meat's bad for the environment. And, and that's a whole story too, is if you do it correctly, it's not bad. It's, mm-hmm. You can regenerate the environment. So then you go into the 2000s and then we blame it on cancer. It's like, oh, meat causes cancer. And then there's a whole story there. And I talked to one of the, the USDA scientists, the PhD, Dr. David Klerfeld, who was on that WHO panel that said that meat was a carcinogen. And he said they ignored all his studies that opposed that and that they were a very strong vegan biased group that was anti-meat and they were outwardly anti-meat for, you know, ethical reasons, yeah. which, so, so then, you know, we keep going, we keep getting this wrong. So if we're saying that meat and fat is bad, then what is good? Well, carbs and, you know, cheap processed foods. So I always say that it's not some big conspiracy theory. You know, people, even nowadays, it's this crazy time in our world. And it was like, oh, this is someone's behind this or someone's behind that. And it's politics and all this stuff. It usually isn't really a conspiracy theory. It's just money, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these people just wanted to make money. So they, the food industry got the green light to make low-fat products and they're cheap and they have a long shelf life and there's a high profit margin. So that's the real story is we just open the door to them and they start making all these products and then people just buy them. And then they're just all the marketing dollars go to further that cycle. Amazing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I was actually thinking as you were talking, I was like, you know... It, we always do want to blame it on one thing. And this is, this is, you know, I'm such a huge fan of keto. I'm such a huge fan of fasting. 
And yet, even as that started to, to gain traction and people got incredible results with that, then all of a sudden we come in and we're like, no, you shouldn't be doing keto. And we, we end up in this like finger pointing situation and it gets so tangled. It's hard for people to make sense of it all. The co- I mean, I spend so much time looking at research studies and I still have trouble making sense of it all sometimes because it is, there's so much money intertwined in, in the decisions that are made around our, our food. So do, do you think that the FDA, when it's approving ingredients into that go into our food, do you feel like that process is handled well, or is that also backed by a lot of money? I actually didn't get that far into that, but I think most of the studies are sponsored by some industry. Well, that's hard too, though, because we could have good people funding things on maybe a keto intermittent fasting side. And then everyone's like, well, that's biased now. It's like, well, no, it's not. But but yes, the, the, the pharma has something to do with it too, because they are certainly funding these studies that start to... Sh- you know, prove their medications. And it's kind of the same thing with the food world. But yeah, I, I, I don't really dive too deep into the FDA stuff. Yeah. And what about, are you familiar with the generally recognized as safe ingredients? Mm, yeah. Can you address that? Because, you know, that the first time I heard that was Robin O'Brien and her experience with her child having anaphylactic shock from an ingredient in a go-gurt. And she realized that there were 40,000 plus ingredients that have been labeled gross or generally recognized mm-hmm. as safe. But it basically, it's like a proven guilty, you know, proven innocent until, until proven guilty. It's an, an innocent ingredient. Yeah. I mean, that is a problem. There's a lot of momentum behind things like that. And it's hard to kind of reverse them. And, and I think the safest way is just to not buy foods with a lot of ingredients. <laughs> You know, that's, exactly. That's, it's an easy solution. And yeah, I mean, I've noticed. So once I stopped eating all these foods with ingredients, if I do have one, I, you can tell, right? Yeah. You, you, I like, I get like weird things happen. I'm like, oh man, I don't feel right. Or, you know, like get a skin irritation. It's like, there's weird stuff in there. You can really tell the difference. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I can taste the difference. Can yeah. you taste the difference when you go oh, to yeah. eat a chemical food? So something's yeah. up with it. Yeah. So, okay. I want to dive into some interesting things that I've heard you say before that were some, like made me, my head kind of go, huh, that's an mm. interesting phrase, such as a failed environment of a metabolic Ooh. state. Talk yes. a little bit about that because that one of my passions has been to wake people up to understand that it is this environment you're living in that is not serving your health. And so you have to make changes around the environment you're living in. So, and you used the example uh, in the podcast I was listening to about the failed environment being that you have people with money trying to go back to this ancestral eating, but it's the environment that has failed us. So you, you, if you can dive into that, I really sure. think that's a unique idea. Yeah. So there's, there's two, two ways to go down that route. So the, the failed, like, basically you could go down the path of this is our modern environment failed us, right? It's like the, which people should know about it, especially if you know the ancestral world, right? The fact that we're sitting indoors all day, you know, we're doing everything almost exact opposite that a human body expects, right? So that's one whole thing you could talk about. But then there's this whole other version of this, that 
that I also got interested in is that humans can live in different kinds of environments, right? That's what we're so adaptable. We, we've, for all of history, we've lived all over the world and there's all those different environments. And I, I think there is, usually our environment serves us and we, we can derive great nutrition from it. And we can, we hunt animals big or small and we have all the vegetables and different things that we could exploit the environment and in a sustainable way, mm-hmm. right? And, and move on. But there's sometimes when it's a long winter or it, we're in places where we can't get food, but humans are so adaptable that they can survive still. So we can survive on inadequate nutrition. Like we, you know, if we only have potatoes, it's like you can live off potatoes. There's famously like a potato diet, right? It's, right. So, so, the, so the second meaning to me is that our body has adapted to live in this kind of, when our environment fails us, we can still live, but that doesn't mean it's what we should be doing. So it's like a, a vegan diet to me. I believe in many diets across the spectrum, but except for a vegan diet, right? That it chews all animal foods because the, that's like a failed environment to me. It's like, yes, we can live and people find good health doing a vegan diet in, a, in you know, short term, maybe medium term, I don't, but I don't know about long term, you know, because mm-hmm. that's our failed environment is when we could only get plants. So yes, we could survive on it. Or yes, people can eat 80% potatoes diet. But that's not the optimum way to live. That, that there is an optimum way. And yeah, I don't think you ever needs to be keto. But I do like a high fat diet. Like if we were getting animal foods, we were getting good nutrition from plant foods and high fat, then that's our, our body does best. That's when we thrive and we, we're tall, we're strong, we're healthy. And then if you, you can survive on different foods... And this is what happened when we did the agricultural revolution is we were surviving, but not thriving. You know, people might know that archaeologists can look at this, the skeletons, the remains of people before and after agriculture and see a major difference. And we got shorter and our brains got smaller and we have more disease and all this stuff after we just started surviving on all these grains and just like lower quality foods and our, we got shorter and and there's a great study that shows with, you know, when people have access to high quality proteins, milk and you know, animal foods, they're taller. And you can see th- it's across the globe. It's interesting, interesting. is that people farther north are all taller and they have access to that better protein. And interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so what, it's, that's a tough one because, you know, like I go back and I, the, one of the first books that opened my eyes to the, what's going on with the meat industry was Diet for a New America. Have you ever mm-hmm. read that book? And I have not. Oh, I know about it though. Yeah. yeah. So John Robbins was, was set to inherit the Baskin and Robbins heir. And then he looked into what was going on with milk and how it was leading to all these diseases. And he turned the whole, you know, legacy of Baskin and Robbins down so because he did, wasn't congruent with what they were doing. And so I became a vegetarian and I actually became the sickest I've ever been. Mm. And I didn't know that. I just was thought, I don't want to eat meat. You know, I'm not, that doesn't seem right to do. And when I started to add meat back in, my health came back. And it, that's a hard one for a lot of people. And I'll tell you, in our resetter community, we have a lot of people who are vegetarians and they're trying to do keto vegetarian and they're doing it for ethical reasons. And they're reading books like the China study and, and leaning into that kind of information. Or what was the movie that just came out? Game, Game Changers. Changers. Yeah, yeah, that everybody was into. So 
how can we help people see that there perhaps there's an ethical reason to not you know, eat meat, but that the human body actually is designed to eat meat, which is what I believe you're saying. Yeah, that is exactly, that's what the film is all about. And it answers this question in the film too. How can we do it ethically? Because, and sustainably, Mm -hmm. you know, we go, so we actually started the film with three million years ago, when human, three and a half million years ago, when we first started scavenging meat. And then, you know, two million years when we got fire. And we go through the story of why humans need meat, right? There's a, there's a, our stomachs are very acidic. They're actually the same as a hyena, which is a scavenger. And and so we, we evolved to eat meat, right? This is how it works. We changed our gut. Yes. Our ancestors, our chimps had a, you know, a seven pH and ours is the 1.7 now. Right, so they, yeah, plant, we are not plant eaters, but that's that goes back to we have a, this a different metabolic state where we can survive on you know these lower quality foods. They, they scientists refer to them as fallback foods a lot in this time. When you're looking at all these ancient cultures, when they couldn't get the animals, they the fallback foods were these plant foods. So I'm not saying we need to be carnivores. There's a lot of people in this new carnivore yep. community who would yep. say that. But yeah, I mean, I believe that they were fallback foods and I've studied enough cultures and you know, talked to enough people to, to realize this, that humans need meat. Our guts changed, right? Our, the, the, the large intestine where a lot of the fermentation of plant matter takes place got shorter and our small intestine got longer where we digest high quality nutrition from animal foods. So... there's all these things that line up when you look at human evolution. So we go through that. And then at the end of the film, we do talk about, but okay, now we know that we should be embracing animal foods. How do we do this in the right way? So that, yeah, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. You have to talk about regenerative farming and all that. Oh, I'd love to chat about regenerative farming. I think that's another major issue that we have is that our access to just really great, high quality, nutrient dense foods are so minimal. And, but I want to go back to this thought. I had never heard that, that our digestive system literally changed. It's like an epigenetic change for what's going on in our environment. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So this, again, Dr. Bill Schindler, people should look him up. I had him on my podcast. I'm about to have him on again. He studies this stuff and it's super interesting because yes, we did, you know, we, we, did come from primates and we used to eat plants. So, But that argument doesn't work because we've changed. This was three and a half million years ago, seven million years ago, when we split off from them. But three and a half million years ago, we started getting access to meat and that changed. And this is when our brain size, right? Where, you know, the people talk about Richard Wrangham, he's a professor that wrote, I think it's called uh, Catching Fire, something about, mm. you know, about how fire and cooking meat led to our brains growing. So during this time, we, and then also hunting. So hunting was huge for humans. So we're smart. So there's another vegan argument. They're like, we don't have fangs. We don't have claws. Like, why are we supposed to eat meat? And that is a, a terrible argument because starting three and a half million years ago, we hit two rocks together and made a knife, basically. And Bill Schindler talks about this. We have evidence for this. And he makes them now too, where he, he shows me how to crack them together. And we started cutting through foods and we got meat and then we started hunting. And once we started hunting, we got first access to the animal instead of scavenging. And so you can track this and how our brains grew was how we got access to more high quality nutrient dense nutrition. So 
that our bodies certainly oh, change. And you can, it's so awesome. You can see it. Hopefully we do a good job in the film of showing this, even visually of how the guts change. So we know we can compare us to a primate and the, of the, the same size, you know, you, and our guts are way different sizes. Our, our large intestine is way smaller than them. We don't have a cecum where all this plant fermentation takes and our small intestines are longer. So it's very obvious, you know, that we, we've changed and we require this. So it, it's really hard to get enough nutrition from plant foods if because we've outgrown our bodies, like our brain and our bodies require so much nutrition that it is very hard without supplementation, a lot of supplementation to get enough quality nutrition from plant foods. Interesting. That like you just expanded my thought on that. And what I'm thinking as you're as you're talking is I'm like, okay, if we if if we evolved from apes, we had more prior to being able to go after things with a sharpened stone. We were eating plants, and then once we evolved into eating meats, now we can actually digest meats. Our our brain grew. We had more sophistication. But now what's happening to us? Like, what are we involving mm. into right now? We're going backwards. Yeah, in a way. I mean, it, you can also look at what the, it's the food processing, right? It's the processed food. So it's people, I've seen like little jokes online about, you know, the modern human. And yeah, and then it's, it's now the processed foods and now we're fat and kind of bent over. You know, yeah. we have all our technology and we're sitting at our desk and you're just kind of like, you have a big gut. That's the next form of our evolution, and it, and it's bad, and and yeah, that's why I'm really passionate about making the film too. Is we we don't want to be plant based, like that's the wrong way to go. It doesn't make sense. Like I'm not saying you know we have to everyone should be a carnivore, all this kind of thing, but it, this this idea that we should be eating less animal foods is wrong. Yeah. I did a presentation at a food industry conference. It's a very plant based food industry conference. All these industry executives from you know Coca Cola and Impossible Foods were there. And I was a one person. I, my presentation was called Why We Should Be Eating More Meat, Not Less. And people were not amused with me, but I laid out all these arguments. I showed every, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, let's do this, but let's do it right, is the other part of the message too, though. Right? Because that's hard, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get enough quality animal foods unless we factory farm them. So that's yeah. part of the change that needs to happen. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. 
and you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. So what do you say to the people who are like, but the China study and the, and the game changer movie, those yeah. were a lot of, a lot of our youth are, are going vegetarian. I see it in my clinic. A lot of kids watch that game changer movie and we're like, Hey, I'm going to go vegan now. What do, what do we say to those people who, well, I debunked that film. I actually made a short film debunking their film in, uh, it was the same length as their film. It's on YouTube. It's called Game Changers Debunked. If you look on the Food Lies channel. So it's a full, I interviewed, you know, I made it in three weeks, interviewed all kinds of scientists and doctors and debunked pretty much every part of their film. So I would say that, I mean, I would say that uh, this is kind of a, a documentary that they made that's one-sided and they, you know, it's very convincing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I admit it was it was good at convincing you that of their points, but that actually each one of them was wrong. So I, I'm, there's no way we could break them all down. But I'm just saying it has been debunked many times by me and many other people. And the China study has been thoroughly debunked. Actually, a great lady, Denise Minger, who's going to be in the film, she wrote, I don't know, a 20-page essay debunking it. And how, I mean, she, there's one example in that study. Well, for one, the author said this is, correlation is not used to show causation. Like we are just showing correlations. So that's, everyone should know that by now. You know, epidemiology too, that's a problem with a lot of our research in nutrition is that it, we base it on food questionnaires and correlations when by definition, you, you're not supposed to base things on correlations. You, you know, it does not show causation. So in the China study, there's a province called the Tuoli province. And they left it, they like conveniently left it out, but that's where the, this this group that lived there was eating the most meat and had the longest life expectancy, right? So then, so the China study authors just for you know they just leave out those details. It's you know called cherry picking. So yeah. the China study, I mean, okay, there. This is another bigger topic of there's so many parts of a good diet that it, it's not just one thing too, right? Yeah. So it's like they, they're, people are. It's called the healthy user bias too. Like people are doing a lot of other healthy things. So yes, you can be eating more plants and be healthier, but maybe it's not the plants. Maybe it's the plants displacing something worse that you're eating. Or you know what I mean? There's so, so, so much going on. Yeah. And what I also heard the Game Changer was funded by a... Uh, their, the, the monetary backing of it was a plant-based company or they had a vegan... Yeah, yeah. Uh, had, Jim Cameron had $170 million invested in a pea protein company. Yeah. And, and you know, all the Patrick Baboon, the big strong guy, you know, he drinks like seven pea protein shakes a day. It's like the only way... Yeah. He can gain muscle. So, yeah. 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 And I think that's something that we try to bring to our community is to always go and look behind it. Like, look at who's backing the research, look who's backing the the studies and these movies so that you can understand what the intention was. I think that's super important because it's easy to take everything at face value. And in the world of nutrition, that gets really confusing. <laughs> People get mm -hmm. really confused. So, that's well, that's such a good point. I mean, the, with the nutrition, it's so confusing. That's my biggest goal is to kind of demystify it because different sides can work. So if you can, someone can have an opposite diet from someone else and they can both appear to be in shape. 
So that's what's super confusing about nutrition, but there is sort of this unifying theory, right? That if you are, if people who all, all good diets have in common is that people are not eating processed foods. You, you know what I mean? It's like kind of what they're not eating and that they're focusing on whole foods and they, they include some animal foods. And yes, you can do different sizes of spectrum. If you're eating whole foods and you're having some animal foods, you can be perfectly healthy. But no one knows, no one's going to talk about these nuances. Right. I lo- and so that, was, that leads me to my next question. I love this idea of there being a unifying theory of nutrition, that we are always so quick to say, this is right, this is wrong. But there are key principles that, br- that great diets have. And so can you just, let's just map those out because I think that would be so helpful for my resetters just to have an idea that there's more, there's more similarities when it comes to the right things to do. And if you know those and follow those, your health can really thrive. Absolutely. I think that's kind of my job because yes, I'm not, I don't have a nutrition degree or doctor, but I've talked to over 150 people. Yeah, I've done all these interviews. All I do is try to figure out both sides and how it works together. And it's simple because you can look through all throughout history. You can look at native living populations. You can look at blue zones even. You know, people talk about, oh, the Okinawans, they live so long, but they're mostly plant-based. Like, well, I mean, maybe not. They, they, they embrace pork. They believe pork is a longevity food and they eat a lot of fish and they're eating whole foods. So they are just choosing fat or carbs. They have a lot of sweet potatoes. So they're, they're choosing a carb-based metabolism and they're doing okay because it's okay if you're going low fat. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of this idea of, of the unifying theory is that there's two sides you can go on, and people usually do well on either end of the spectrum. And most people are caught in the middle, right? Most yeah. people are eating high carb, high fat diets. Yeah, at the same time, it's a bad combination and a lot of processed foods. People who go one way or the other, while the carnivore community is thriving, is because they aren't eating a whole bunch of carbs with their fat. Their fo- you know, and then why the Okinawans is they're not eating a whole bunch of fat with their carbs, right? They're eating whole foods, they're eating fish and vegetables and potatoes. And so that is a different way to do it. So part of the unifying theory is, is just picking whole foods and then picking uh, a macronutrient, basically fat or protein. That's why the keto is so great is you choose fat. And also a big unifying theory is fasting, right? It, it's, it's people who aren't eating all the time. Yep. Right, there's all different versions of fasting, right? And you know all about fasting more than me. But just there's the longer ones, yeah. You, maybe you don't have to do all the longer fasting. Although it's interesting that many religions have these longer fasts yep. built in because everyone knows it's healthy. And so any good diet, you'll be able to burn your own body fat at some point. It's, it's part of being metabolically flexible. It's another great term. Yeah, is that, that most people are not metabolically flexible. They can only burn glucose or sugar burners. Car, you know, they're always relying on the next meal. But if you're in these more high-fat diets, then when you're not eating, your blood sugar will not drop. You, you can rely on your own body fat. And that's part of fasting. So you could even be eating a more plant-based diet and maybe it could be low-fat. But if you're doing it correctly, you actually are kind of doing some intermittent fasting. You know, I know some people that do it. They like they don't eat breakfast. They're doing like sixteen and eight. You know, sixteen hours not eating, but they're doing it more plant heavy and lower fat, and that's fine, right? Yeah. But that's why there's a unifying theory, right? It's yeah. like 
I, I, you know, I, and again, this is, I've studied so much on nutrition and you've given me a couple of like ahas. And one is that you're right. The absolute worst scenarios when you're putting fats with carbs, and especially if you're putting the bad fats with carbs. So now if you go vegan and you start eating the right fats and you're not eating the refined carbs, which is that doesn't mm-hmm. always yeah. happen, but let's say it did happen, or you go carnivore, or you go keto, the unifying principle is that you stop putting bad fats with carbs together. So you're, all of the people are going to just thrive from that number one step. 100%. This is my big revelation that after talking to so many people and looking at both sides, that's what I finally figured out. And it, you're right, it is the bad fats. It's, yeah, like, it's so funny. We thought these vegetable oils were good for us and all these processed seed oils. These are like waste products of in, industry, these seed oils. Are, it, and that's... So a lot of people in the low-carb world will blame all the, the obesity and all the chronic disease on carbs. And it's, it's not. It's, for one, it's the refined carbs. And yep. two, it's actually the refined carbs plus the refined oils, these bad fats. Because if you look, if you actually look at the graphs... That's what went up. Or actually, the other or saturated fat consumption has actually gone down. People like actually took the advice of the government. But the the seed oils, these you know really polyunsaturated fatty, you know very high refined oils have gone way up, and then the refined flours and sugars way up. And that's the problem. And not only is it is it just havoc on your body and your metabolism down to your mitochondria level, it's hard. It's easy to overeat. They call them hyper palatable. Right? That, and that's a huge problem when you're eating the fats and the carbs together. This is this combination. And you know, food scientists know about this because they're trying to make hyperpalatable foods because they want to sell more product. And again, it's not some conspiracy. It's Lay's potato chips saying, bet you can't eat just one. And Pringles, <laughs> once you pop, you can't stop. They know if you combine refined flours, sugars, oils, you will keep eating. So that's really to me is... is also part of the unifying theory. It's also where we went wrong. It's like, it explains everything. And the, the other half of the unifying theory I said is what you don't eat is super important. And it's those refined grains, sugars, vegetable oils. Those are the three. So all good diets, leave those out. But any blue zone, they're not eating those. Mm-hmm. Any his, you know, historic, like people are like, oh, what about this tribe in the, you know, Peru? And the, you know, they eat so much plant-based. They're not eating sugars, refined grains, and vegetable oils. So you can do anything really and be okay if you're avoiding those three. If you avoid those, that, that, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, simple concept. And through this whole pandemic with COVID and everything, I've been trying to figure out like, how do we help people who don't have a lot of money? Like if we know a high sugar diet can cause, if you have hyperglycemia, it can cause cellular inflammation and it can start to cause your immune system to be depressed. And people who are really, who are falling prey to the coronavirus, many of them are diabetics. And so, but what do we do in these poor neighborhoods and these mm-hmm. poor communities, how do we help these people? And what I just heard from you is like, gosh, the first thing would be just to, to get out of the, of the oil-carb combination. And, That's and, it. Yeah. Well, uh, I, we actually even do a little segment on this as a film because people say, oh, there's food deserts. You know, you go in these bad neighborhoods and they don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I'm pushing back on that and saying, you don't necessarily need tons of expensive fresh fruits and vegetables to be healthy. It's great, you know, but you don't need it. So I think it's about the education yeah, for these lower income people. So they, I feel like they, they think this whole message is like, if you can't eat 
you know, this magical whole foods diet, like go to the whole foods and get, you know, these beautiful bouquet of colorful stuff, then you can't be healthy. And I say, hey, this is whole carnivore community that's super healthy and they're just eating some meat and eggs and whatnot. So I think it's this education issue. So it's not that there's a food desert. I went around into South Central LA. It was, you know, it was a little scary actually at one point, but it wasn't a good neighborhood. But they had, I went to a carniceria. It's a Mexican grocery store. They had liver for, it was like $1.99 a pound. You could get some liver. They had all kinds of meats for a couple of dollars a pound. They had, you know, they use the whole animal. They, you know, they have all this stuff and it's cheap and it's, it's just meat. And I'm not saying only eat meat, but hey, if you don't have a lot of money and you want to be healthy, you should know that this is an option, that you don't have to have expensive foods and, and fruits and vegetables to be healthy. You can just say, eat some ground beef and some eggs. And, you know, maybe I, I just like cheaper vegetables anyway. I have like sauerkraut or uh, kimchi. Yep. I like ferment. You know, it's like a sauerkraut. You can get it in a jar for like a yep. dollar. Just yep. eat some sauerkraut and some sausage or something. It's, you know, just don't eat the bun. Just don't eat the refined, right? It's like, I just wish people would know that you could be healthy by just eating these animal food. And you, a lot of people lose weight. My friend, Laura, she lost half her body weight in 10 months. She was 280 pounds. And she went down to 140 by just eating meat. And it's just, it's, I wouldn't do it forever, but it really works. And so in these poor neighborhoods, how much of, do you think their taste buds are because the Lay's potato chip people have sprayed chemicals on those potato chips that that are highly addictive, that have you going back to eating more and more and more. How much do you think the processed food industry has altered the taste buds Mm, of the human body? That's really true. Yeah. Yeah, That's part of our our new society that's so reliant on these. Yeah. It's like people don't know a world without them. And it is a little hard to change. So yes, I was in that world too, where I was addicted to different foods. I thought I had to have you know this with with my meals, and it takes months to kind of change, you know. So, so I'd say a hundred percent. These people are, I'm sure, very used to it, and it, it is this like hyper palatable flavor, and it yep. food is is comfort too, right? Even during this COVID thing, I was like, oh, your comfort foods, comfort food. That's the yep. opposite message, right? You need to tell people to get healthy, but it just takes a little time. But the great thing is another big point. The great thing about meat is people love it. So it's not we're not not a lot of people. I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people. I went to Arkansas recently and they don't eat vegetables in Arkansas. (laughs) And the only vegetables were fried. So it's like people don't inherently maybe want to eat a whole bunch of vegetables. So what's great though, is if you say, hey, you can eat a burger patty with cheese on it. Just don't put the bun and lose weight and be healthy. They're like, hey, that's delicious. right? So you can change those behaviors and go away from the processed foods that are so addicting. But you it's a good path, right? It's a good way that people enjoy. That humans are meat eaters. You know, you smell bacon, you want bacon. Why do the vegans make the fake meat product? Because humans yeah. want to eat animal foods. It's delicious. So yeah, that, that can help. Yeah, interesting. So okay, let's go into. Uh, hopefully, we haven't scared everybody away. For sure, we've probably scared the vegetarians away at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, I embrace vegetarians. Just, just eat some fish, eat some eggs. Like just put in a little bit of animal foods. 
Yeah. And I do like this idea of just, you know, I, I was vegetarian for 10 years and I did the, the worst thing you can do, which is give up meat and do the fat and the carbs together, like you said. And I mm-hmm. gained a bunch of weight. I got chronic fatigue syndrome. Like it, it took me down a really bad place. Mm. So I love this idea of let's not point fingers at each other and what we're eating, but go back to some unifying principles. So what do you think, and I, I'm sure your movie is going to address this and I want to chat about the movie a little bit, but what do you feel like is our way out? Like how do we, here we sit in 2020 mm-hmm. with a virus that's taken over the world with a, a nation that ha- diabetes is on the rise and they're more susceptible to this virus. Like there's mm-hmm. never been a more important time for people to take care of their health Yet we have a broken food industry. We have soils that need to be regenerated. We're living in a toxic environment. How the heck do we get out of this? Yeah, I I love to focus on the solutions too. And I I think there there are some pretty straightforward solutions. It's not going to be easy. And the the farming, the soil and farming is, is a big hurdle to get through and there's we have funding in the wrong place where we're we're subsidizing corn wheat and soy instead of we should be somehow getting a carbon you know sequestration subsidy maybe if you can grow food regeneratively and put carbon back in the soil then maybe that's where your your money should be going right for yep. these subsidies and also i'll say I, I think there is enough land to do regenerative farming we have millions of acres in america mm-hmm. you know if anyone's flown over you see a lot below you and we can do a lot of you know rotational grazing, like get the animals together, move them around in a smart way. You know, there's there's enough land. People go, oh, there's not enough land to feed the people. No, there is. We actually don't need uh, factory farms to do it. We just need a whole bunch more farmers, right? We just, I think, hey, this is my big idea. We're we're talking about these uh, compute, uh, what's it called, like automation taking over our future. Oh, what's going to happen to the truck drivers when the you know the cars drive themselves? We need to go back to farming. If we have all these people, I don't think anyone wants to be a truck driver, but people like love to work with their hands. You know, if you mm. farming is is great, I think. I don't know, it's very satisfying. People oh, like yeah. farming. No, right? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Backyard farms are people love the you know, it's it's satisfying, it's primal, it's human. So I think if we switch a lot of these industries, if technology takes over things and but we get back to farming, we have a lot of people finding value in farming and, and making it a, a great thing to do, right? You know, and saying, hey, this is fun. This is great. It's not a bad job. Trucking is probably a bad job. Farming is yeah. a cool job. We, yeah. we can change. But I'll jump back to just the, the food stuff, though. Just changing our views on food, I think, is the way to change our society. So like I said, it's confusing. Nutrition is so confusing. Everyone's saying this plant-based message. So the number one way I think we can change the world's health is to let them know the, the two main things we've been talking about, that animal food is healthy and it is a superfood. And this is where it's, you can get great nutrition from animal foods, oysters and eggs and liver. Like these are amazing yep. sources of nutrients, bioavailable nutrients. So people knew that, right? People don't they think of like ground beef as a junk food. Ground beef is not a junk food. Everything else that came with that junk food meal is a junk food. The ground beef was the one healthy thing you had in there. Yep. It is all these B vitamins, it's iron, it's all these things. It's interesting that pe- the, there's a study about what pregnant women are most deficient in. And it was like the three vitamins that are most available in meat, right? It was these B vitamins and iron. And so, so people knew animal foods were healthy. 
And if people knew this idea that we're talking about the bad sugars and bad oils together, then that would kind of change everyone's view of health. Instead, it's like, oh, I have to go plant-based to be healthy. Going plant-based is not the healthy part. You giving up the sugars and oils would be healthy. And you eating, like, yeah, I know some vegan type people that they eat oysters once a week. So, and they, so I'm like, that was your most nutritious thing you ate that week, yep. right? So now they're yep. like, oh, we're so healthy because we're plant-based. It's like, no, you're, you're not eating processed food and all this and, and sugars and refined grains and oils together. And then yep. you got the good nutrition from the oysters. So yep. if people, it's just about the information. That's why I'm trying to make the film. That's why I have my podcast, Peak Human. That's why I do everything I do. It's just to let people know. That's the one thing you can do is let people know there's another option out there to be healthy that's delicious, easy. Yeah. So talk about your film. And I, I totally agree with you. And again, I, you know, for me, I was a vegetarian and experimented with vegan and I was just so sick. And it literally like one day woke up and I, it was like something inside of me that just said, I got to eat meat. I don't, I know that my brain says that there's a humanitarian piece to this, but there was like some intuition inside of me. And I've now interviewed, like I just interviewed Allie Miller who wrote the anti-anxiety book and mm. she's all about amino acids for the brain and you mm. can really get amino acids from meat. So there, mm-hmm. I, I would agree that we need to revisit that topic. But what I love in, about what you're doing in your film is that I think people need to take like that higher approach view of what the heck has happened in nutrition and food. And we have to stop debating this diet or that diet. And we need to look at how we got here and what we can do to undo that, which is why I'm such a fan of what you're trying to do with your film. So talk a little bit about what people can expect to see in the film. Yeah, that that's that's kind of the thesis. The, the takeaway, the thesis is what are humans supposed to eat? And this is what they are. And this is the, the general unifying theories. Let's make it simple. That's the takeaway by the end. And then, yes, how do we do it sustainably and regeneratively and correctly? So, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll brief recap of the film. I mean, I, I said in the beginning, we start with, you know, the beginning of humans. Like we are finding out what humans should eat, going back to the beginning. And we really dive into that. So we know that that's the foundation of this, right? And then we go through the bad science, right? There's a hundred years of bad science that we need to re-examine. And yeah. when you start to re-examine, luckily there is new science. So the, we, we go from the human evolution story, then we go through the agricultural revolution, which is really interesting. Like I said, we kind of deteriorated once we started displacing a lot of our food with a bunch of grains and cheap you know, grains. That, and then there's the bad science, right? Why, why did we go wrong? We Ansel Keys, we thought cholesterol was bad. Then there's new science. Like, hey, there's all this, this ketogenic community is great. There's great science coming out using ketogenic diets, reversing type 2 diabetes, you know, tons of weight loss. We go through all this new science that no one's talking about, right? Here's, it's like, does anyone know that there's been, you know, over 100 low-carb studies and that's shown superior weight loss and blood markers and better, you know, HDL, better triglycerides than low fat diets. No one knows this type of stuff. No one knows that... Doctors don't even know. Doctors don't know. Doctors still think cholesterol is bad. It's like cholesterol is a vital hormone to your body. It's like a very good thing. So yes, there's so much new science out there. 
So we, we go through all that. Then we kind of synthesize and tell people like all the stuff we've been talking about. These are the unifying theories. These are the simple things. Also, it, it's so confusing because you, you say, oh, that my aunt went vegan and she did better. Like, so yes. there, there's no way that this guy's saying to eat meat. That's not the way, that's opposite. So we, we will show why this works and all the stuff we've been saying, don't get caught in the middle, pick a side, you know, just all these simple things, avoid the sugars, refined grains, the oils. If you do these simple things, you can be healthy. And then we end with a sort of regenerative agriculture piece and wrap it all together and, you know, how the environment works. And that's Love the film, it. yeah. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to see it. And in in our community, we're big fans of what we call diet variation, where you can mm. be vegan one day, you can be carnivore the next day, you can go keto at certain times of the month. Like you can, if you switch in and out of these different diets, that you really can have a benefit of of all of that. So it, it, I'm 100% there. I think that's what we did for all of history. And even if it, it's year round, it's seasonal. Like seasonal yeah. eating is really great. I didn't really get it before. You know, some of these things, I just did, they didn't click with me. Like our bone broth. Like why are people, is bone broth just some fad? Or like, no, no, bone broth is, you know, what our ancestors did to get yeah. all these extra nutrients and magnesium and calcium and you get all these extra things. That's why it's good, collagen. So yeah. there, it's for a reason, right? And eating seasonal and mixing your diet is for a reason too, because yeah. you, you don't always want to do the same thing. And yeah, maybe the winter months, you eat more animal foods and less plants because you didn't have them around. Like, yep. again, you shouldn't be eating mangoes and strawberries in the middle of winter, yep. right? I mean, even yep. just from an environmental perspective, you, who's flying this in? That's right. right? And like, how's it, it getting to you? I think the cave person is so interesting to go back and look at because in the winter, they didn't have access to a lot. I mean, they were hanging out in their caves trying to survive, which is when you're meant to go more into a ketogenic state. This is why the human body has ketones so that you can survive long periods without a lot of food. But then when spring and summer hit, the earth provided all of these vegetables and it was easier to go out and hunt and you were meant more to feast and, and live off the land. And so it's the cycling in of what we call feast, famine, cycling. Like, you know, you're meant to eat one way here and then you can meant to go into a famine cycle and then you come out over here. And it, it, one of the things that like drives me crazy is this need for us to fall into one nutritional camp that I am mm -hmm. a vegan, I'm paleo, yeah. I'm keto. And yet, is that that's not how our human body was designed? That's not at all. And I even think you can do it on a shorter time. So, like I think you're saying too, is it could be per week, and we don't oh, have to, right? Absolutely. Like, I do that per week. Yeah. I do. I am mostly keto during the week, and then on the weekends, yeah. I'll be more liberal with carbs because I want to be metabolically flexible. And I, yeah, so I, I yeah. can change it. Or maybe if you want to work out and you want to have more carbs around your workout, that's you know, there's yeah. all different ways to do it, and. I, I, I do have this idea of a sapien diet, right? So from all mm. of my studies, it's not keto, it's not paleo, it's not the, you know what I mean? It's a sapien diet is a sapien framework, actually. It is not one diet. Mm, and I, I have that. I have a sapien.org. I have this little diagram that's, it's like this whole dietary landscape and it, it, it covers a lot of it where it's like you can be pescatarian and be sapien because you're, you can avoid the sugars, refined grains, and oils, and still include some plant. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. it, there is like a whole framework. So I wish people would, they don't have to use my terminology of, of sapien, but I think we're on the exact same page is that there is a framework of, of human eating that's healthy and you can, you can mix and match from any part of this framework.
Yeah, I love that sapien diet because then it takes you out of what should I do because my best friend lost weight doing this? You know, it Uh puts you into what's right for you. And one thing that I've done with vegetarians when I work with them is I say, if you want to be a vegetarian, you want to stay in that lane, could you just throw in some days where you eat some meat? You can still be a vegetarian. I'm not going to mm-hmm. take that ethical or that 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 label away from you. You're just going to throw in a day where you step out of the vegetarian diet and you eat some meat. And you, sometimes or the farmers market works. too. Yeah, find some great know know who raised the meat. You know, That's and get right. a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, how can we help your film? Because I'm pretty sure that that making a film is not easy or cheap, is it? Yeah, it's been a it's been a journey. It's been a struggle. We've been doing it all on our own. So, like you said earlier, we don't want to. Who's behind the film? Is it a pea protein company, or is it just the people? So we are all self funded by the people, and we're on Indiegogo still. So the campaign's still open. But if you go to foodlives.org, it'll link you to the Indiegogo and. Yeah, I mean, we're we're just paying our graphic designer. You know, we're doing all kinds of graphics and the, yep. the score. So really, it's like everyone's even working for free on the film, even. So really, if people donate, it's just going to the last experts, you know, that do the great graphics and do the great sound and do all that stuff to make this really beautiful and uh, want to go mainstream, right? We want to get on Netflix and be like game changers and have everyone yes. talking about it. Yes. I want you on Netflix too. Um, Your trailer is great, by the way. So, you know, if you guys are listening to this, go to the trailer. We'll put the link in there. It just gives you an idea of what this... Oh, yeah. And that actually, I made that for free with a college intern. So we have way better footage, way... Everything's going to be way better than that trailer. But... Yeah, you can That's check awesome. it out. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, 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 you had me hooked. I was like, oh, look yeah. at that. It was, and your uh-huh. podcast is really interesting too. You bring on some incredible experts on it. All the people, yeah. A lot of as we go through the film, getting all access to great people. Like I'm going to the Museum of Natural History soon when it reopens, and filming with a great, you know, archaeologist PhD, and all these great people are uh, provide so much information. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's end with this. This is how I like to end my podcast. I love mission-hearted people, people that are really working to change the world. So tell me what, if there was like one message you could get out to humanity right now, and at any point, what do you think that Mm -hmm. message would be? Well, this time is crazy. So there's so much divide in this this time, I don't know if people are going to be listening to this in the future, but it's the it's lockdown. You know, people are like, there's warring sides. You know, every everyone is so against each other. So, I mean, I guess it, it's. I don't want to say just a super fluffy type of thing of of connecting with someone or listening to people, but maybe just about going back to the diet and lifestyle is if you're open minded and reasonable with people in general, and and not starting wars. I mean, friend groups have been breaking up in this time, you know? So so if you are understanding of people, if you're welcoming of differing opinions, if you, right, vegan versus carnivore, if you, I want to step back and look at both sides and see what the commonalities are. So it works in the diet world, but also works in the bigger world where I want to hear your side. And I think that's what I've done best in in my journey is look at both sides and everything works better when you are, you know, open to new information and not staying in your little world. So 
I guess that's that. you can do this on a grand scale and maybe people would be happier and, and not fight so much. And if you do it on a dietary scale, maybe we would figure out nutrition and you could right just be yep. healthier. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think you're right. If, we are, if we're going to fight over vegan versus carnivore, how the heck are we going <laughs> to come together as humanity? And so I, I, I call it the rise above. Like if you have both sides... How do we? I love this idea of coming to the middle and then let's rise above, mm. above it. Let's elevate the conversation. Let's accept our, the fact that we're not going to agree upon everything. But if we're going to be violent about our nutritional habits and criticize people for that, how are we ever going to come come together on other issues? I think you're absolutely right. So yeah. this was awesome. Thank you for letting me pick your brain and oh, thank yeah. you. For doing a movie, I that is definitely something I never want to partake in. But I love <laughs> to sit on my couch and and see movies like yours and get that out to the world. So so grateful for you. Thank you so much for taking your time, Brian. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on and spreading the word. Yeah, and we'll put links to your to your movie. So resetters, if this information was powerful for you, please go to his website, donate, get involved in the work that he's doing, understand it teach it, share it. Like we have to empower ourselves so we can empower others. So thanks, Brian. Love it. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, Resetters. So I hope that you are as angry as I am right now. Yes. I, I think part of why we wanted to bring him on is because our food industry is a hot mess and we are so grateful for the work he's doing to bring this to people's attention. But I am, the more I understand what the food industry is doing to keep our taste buds in a certain lane, to that the cut costs on ingredients, it, it is a criminal act and it needs to change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's a business. Like they're out to make money and keep you coming back for more and more and more. Their main priority is not to keep you living, unfortunately. Yeah. The problem that I have is I always want to believe in the good of people. And I struggle when I think about people who would actually put an ingredient into a product knowing that it's cancer causing, knowing that it's going to create a metabolic syndrome, knowing that it's going to create inflammation. And I struggle because I just, I don't want to believe in evil people but I think what perhaps happens is they just look the other way. They allow the science to come in that says it's okay. And they just look the other way so that they can only see, they become linear in their focus. So they only see people are going to love the taste of this and it's going to make us a lot of money. And they are pushing out the theories that are the, the research that says this is harmful. I often wonder too, if, you know, when they think, when they go to create something, if they think, well, there's already so many other things on the market that could be harming somebody's health. Like mine's not just the only issue, right? So I wonder if that clouds their judgment of like how impactful really is like the the bottle of Coca-Cola. Like Uh, if they're doing all the other things, it's really not that bad if that's just their one thing, right? Like, I I don't know. I, I just feel like it's like what Vision says, you know, with his like new thing that he's trying to do with Coca-Cola and people like that. It's like, they're good. They have, we have to believe that they're good people, but that they just don't understand to what effect their product is damaging like yep. the human body. Yeah, I, I would say this. I would definitely agree with you. It's like 
they just aren't thinking about the long-term challenges that that their products are creating. But here we sit in, you know, this pandemic and one thing that has were, you know, uh, this is 4 months, 3 months after we all have gone into quarantine and one of the things that I think that is becoming very clear in the research is that the people that are the most vulnerable to the coronavirus are the ones with metabolic syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so I actually put a post on Facebook that's that was something along the lines of the enemy is not the virus. The enemy is the food industry. And people, most people were like, yes, yes, yes. But then there's about 10, 20% of the people are like, that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? You know, why would the food industry be the enemy? And so I still feel like people are are asleep when it comes to food. They mm-hmm. They think if they walk into the market, the fact that it's on the shelf means it's safe. Right. Yes. Well, and that the FDA and the food, you know, the food industry has their back. Yeah. And, and that's not true. The food industry is putting stuff on the shelf to pacify your taste buds. They're not putting things on the shelf to make you healthier. Right. Now, the labeling will all be towards making you healthier if you think you're buying something really natural. Like gluten-free has gotten really, I call it junk food gluten-free. Like it has gotten so toxic. Right. So, uh, you know, I just think my hope for you guys as you listen to this episode is that you really wake up and see that we've got to start questioning the quality of ingredients that we have and that we're given. And we need to, to vote with our dollars by not buying that crap right. so that the food industry knows we're not happy. Yes. Well, I think now during quarantine, if we could put a positive spin on quarantine, is like you and I have this mass love for for Italy. And, you know, one of the things I love about Italy is they they shop daily. Like they buy their ingredients fresh. They go home cooking a meal is is a thing like it's not a hassle it's it's part of being in a family and so i feel like you know here in america we pride ourselves on being busy and we don't have time to do any of that and so we go to the grocery store and we buy bulk things that can stay in our pantry for you know 6 months and i would like challenge people during this time especially if you've got kids at home like teach them how to cook and buy fresh ingredients and you know start to change the way that we're that we're operating i guess uh, agreed. And I also think for you guys to think about this, I hope with this episode that you are thinking deeply about the food that you're buying. But one of the things that came up in this episode, and then I've had other conversations with Brian, and he actually interviewed me on his podcast, is that there are two business that, that there are two businesses that are driving your health, whether you're aware of it or not. One is big pharma and the other is the food industry. Mm-hmm. And they actually get richer as you get sicker. Mm-hmm. So because they are able, like especially big pharma, they are able to, the more you need their drugs, then you're going to be on those for life. There is no financial incentive for them to have you get off the drug. Right. And in the food industry, there is no financial interest for you to stop eating the food. Yep. So they put chemicals in those foods to make sure that you become addicted and that you come back for more. And they have studied all the neurochemical reactions that happen when you eat salty, when you eat sweet, and they're going to actually manipulate that food so that you, it hits dopamine receptor sites and it creates an addiction. 
Well, it's why people can eat a whole bag of like Lay's potato chips or eat an entire pizza. I mean, they've done, uh, wasn't it Jamie Oliver that did that food study on like ingredients? I think he, I thought he did one on pizza about how they put like the specific chemicals in pizza so that you end up eating a whole one and then you feel like crap afterwards. But yeah, the next day you'll want it again. Like it's that addiction to the food. It's actually really similar to our phones. If you think about it, we're all now addicted to our phones and we can't put them down because they're creating a neuro neurochemical change in our brain. Mm -hmm. So this is what the food industry is doing is it's creating a neurochemical change in your brain so that you, it is, makes it very difficult to overcome eating that food. Yep. And honestly, this is where I love fasting because if you can implement, start to implement a fasting lifestyle, it really is one step. It, you got one step in the door to overcoming this addiction. Yeah. So incredible. And you guys, his movie Food Lies is in process. He's trying to get it to the, to all of us. It will be great to share with your friends. It'll be great for us to understand. I'm very intrigued to hear the whole history of food. Did you also hear? That he said our digestive system was changing. Do you remember that part? Yeah. And well, and I think the size of our brain, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. We're like now adapting in a negative way because of the quality of food. Yeah. So if you are, care about the direction that our health is going, if this topic really resonated with you, please go donate to his film because he's trying to do some amazing work in the world. And I can't imagine making a film is anything easy. Well, no, we've talked to so many people making documentaries and films, and there's nothing easier, cheap about the process. And I would say, too, if this resonated with you, share it out so that yeah. more people can start to understand the bigger picture of what's going on. Yeah, there needs to be a tipping point because, again, you know, just like the post I made on Facebook, we have so many people that in this moment of a health crisis have no idea that when they're going into the store that they're actually buying food that is making them immune compromised. They're thinking immune compromised as people with lung conditions or they're an age. But what they don't realize is that the food they're eating, the soda they're drinking, every single day is making them immune compromised. And then they feel like putting the mask on or hoping for the vaccine is going to be the answer when really the answer is starting to look within and making changes to your food so that you can be immune strong again. So yep. enjoy. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, let us know your thoughts on it. Share it out to the world and never give up on yourself. You're living in a miracle and it is so miraculous when you eat the right foods. You put the whole foods in, you take all empty foods out, you put organic food in, and you shake bad toxins out. You eat ketobiotic and your microbiome shouts, that's what it's all about. You put fast cycling in, you take overeating out, you put the good fats in, trying seven fast types out. You download Carb Manager where your food is all graphed out. That's what it's all about. That's what resetting is all about.